The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Wrap and IGN, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic for IGN. I write about Star Trek over there. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of the many Trek guys. I'm, I'm lucky one of the editors is also like a dyed-in-the-wool Trekkie, because mm-hmm. we can just sort of bounce ideas off each other about like really obscure crap, and I don't have to explain myself. May the force be long and prosper. Um, on the wind, like a leaf on the wind, dude. That's from Battlestar Galactics. No, that, the, that one's from. Okay, sci-fi. We're not what? talking about sci-fi this week, actually. No, uh, we talk about a lot of sci-fi. We're, we're gonna have to bite our tongues. <laughs> we were fi- yeah. No more Star Trek references. This entire episode. You can't do that. Every time you make a Star Trek episode, you have to slap yourself in the face. Uh, can, can we, we should have like a Star Trek jar. Like you, you, you drop in a quarter every time you make a Star Trek reference. It's just like a Star Trek Voyager. No, no. Into the jar. <laughs> jar starts next week. Okay. This week, face slap time. <laughs> Remember the one episode on Deep Space Nine where they all got shrunk? Ow! Ow! <laughs> Uh, this week on Cancel Too Soon, we're actually talking about one of our more requested failed sitcoms. Uh, this is a relatively recent sitcom starring a whole bunch of people who went on to big stuff mm-hmm. uh, from a bunch of people who did big stuff uh, based on a book by a guy who did big stuff. And it aired four episodes and got canceled. Four episodes. That was it. Yeah. They made they made a bunch and all of and, them are available on DVD. And, Let's talk. And, and we're reviewing all Thirteen that that they made, they made a whole a whole season. And let's talk about Bradley Cooper and John Cho and a whole bunch of other cool people in Kitchen Confidential. Kitchen Confidential is back, and when a French restaurant opens up, it's war. I guess it is how you say on. It is totally on. Alias's Michael Bartan guest stars. Kitchen Confidential, all new, coming up next on Fox. Mm. Chicken, chicken, chicken Confidential. Yes, Chicken Confidential. Delicious. So, uh, this is based off of the book uh, by Kit- Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. Yep, Kitchen Confidential: Adventures in the Culinary Underbelly. Uh, the book came out about five years before mm. the sitcom. Sitcom aired from September nineteenth, two thousand and five, mm. through December fifth. 2005 on Fox, but that is misleading because the majority of that time they were in baseball playoffs and they weren't airing the show. It, so they it, aired three and then they waited for baseball and then they aired one episode and said, screw it. Just no one's going to watch this. We'd rather have baseball. Yep. Um, premiered it, it, opposite, it's, I just think it's interesting, okay. premiered opposite Monday Night Football and the pilot episode for How I Met Your Mother. So it was doomed from the start. Kind of doomed yeah. from the start, this one. Uh, this came from Anthony Bourdain, celebrity chef, uh, who 
the book was published in like 2000. Yeah. And that was about the time when celebrity chefs were just exploding. There had always been. I mean, a, 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 oh no, there, there'd a, certainly a, been celebrity chefs, but yeah. when did the Food Network premiere? You might want oh, to look been, that up. That had up, been but, around for a while. But yeah, I, I think there, there was some sort of we, turning point. We at started least having in, people in public like, consciousness where yeah. celebrity chefs just started proliferating. Like crazy. we started having people yeah. like Anthony Bourdain or mm. Emeril, or mm. and they just started like people started acknowledging mm. them as mainstream celebrities not celebrities within the cooking world and the cooking world once you really get into it is a really exciting place full of people with really high taste if you think film critics are rough oh yes <laughs> food critics are merciless well and I've, I've used food critics as a good gauge as how to be a better film critic mm. a food critic you know if, if somebody like serves you a film and you say not for me well, you know, if you're a food critic, if somebody puts down a plate in front of you, you have to taste it and say, well, are they doing something correct with these ingredients? Yeah. Even if it's not your favorite. And as a food critic, you can't really just eat your favorites. As a film critic, you can't watch just your favorites. Yeah, you have to watch everything in front of you. You have to watch everything, and you have to make sure it's okay. So I think they, mm-hmm. there's a similar ethos, and we can learn from food critics. I think you absolutely can. And uh, the world of... High cuisine, mm-hmm. as portrayed by Anthony Bourdain in Kitchen Confidential, is kind of fucked up. Well, it's it's way sloppier and more punk rock than you'd imagine. Yeah, he 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 portrays you know the people behind the scenes at the fanciest restaurants as a ragtag group. Of, imagine the Guardians of the Galaxy are back there. Yeah, they're 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 cussing. They're sleeping with one another incessantly. They're doing they drugs. Have, they're, they're like they have these real incredibly petty rivalries. There's a, something that was committing in, crimes in order to get you the food you like. Yeah, yeah. Everything. It's just a a blind, messy panic. It is a, a realm of chaos in that kitchen. Mm-hmm. Hence the title, Kitchen Confidential. You're not supposed to know that. And it's completely opposite of the scenario in the restaurant, which is very clean and buttoned down, and you're eating nice things, yeah. and you're actually savoring the food. The front of the restaurant where people mm. are sitting, everything is nice. Yeah. Back there, it's hell. Mm. People are stabbing each other with forks. And the, and the fish guy hates the cake guy. And that was my favorite episode. The fish where, guy hates the cake where guy the, the, Where the fish guy and the cake guy hate each other. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not, you know, I, I can't afford to eat at a place like we mm. see in Kitchen Confidential. I've been at a few fancy restaurants in my time. They're amazing. I love well, high quality food, but I can't afford high quality food. So I tend to eat a lot of junk. <laughs> and I've become a connoisseur of junk, mm. and I'm quite fond of it. So, uh, but so, I love so stories as, about food. I love yeah. stories about food. Well, and even the people who work in the kitchen can't afford the food they're preparing. And yeah. uh, there's a, a recurring gag. This is something they did in The Slam and Salmon as well, that the waiters can't afford to buy that food. So if somebody ever sends a plate back, they can't reuse that food. That's fair game. So all of the kitchen staff, like hungry jackals just lunge on the food that's been sent back and they just start snarfing it down. Yeah, I did like um, as we watch Kitchen Confidential it's not a particularly, I think informative show, Mm. but every episode or two you'll get some insight into the process that maybe you didn't think about before. There's Mm. a bit where that episode where they talk about how people eat behind the scenes. They eat like hungry jackals. They also are often fed kind of subpar food by the restaurant standards because they're not going to make the expensive stuff for you. Right, right. They're not going to make you a $200 plate of salmon. (laughs) You get gruel and you're going to like it. It's like at at a a movie theater. They give you as much popcorn and soda as you like. 
you know, like the the bottom of the barrel stuff. Yeah, that stuff not, that's barely food. You're not going to get the espresso and the high end cookies in a package. That costs too much. Yeah, you have to buy that yourself. Yeah. Uh, so Kitchen Confidential has a lot of insights mm. uh, from Anthony Bourdain. It is also or, or how Jack Bourdain. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about that in a <laughs> minute. Right. But it's also kind of just a sitcom. The the mm. location is very specific. But what we've got here is a boys will be boys sitcom. Led by Bradley Cooper with a bunch of dudes who haze each other, who push each other along mm. into macho behavior, sleep around in every episode. The women are typically fodder for the men. Well, and which it's is, a very typical sitcom for the time, is my point. Yeah, and, and typical for a Fox sitcom. So it is it is very lascivious. And, uh, I uh, think it's sexist as hell. It, 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 well, it's sexist. It's a sexist show, but I think... It's intention to give it the benefit of the doubt for just mm-hmm. a moment. I think its intention was to reveal the sexism in the industry, mm. which is there. See, I don't but at think the same so. time, they don't depict the women as sort of struggling in a sexist industry. They too get a little bit too caught up in sort of the guy games. I think we see. And there's some a lot, of a lot of too much like sexual teasing, and the women are treated a lot like objects, and they kind of roll with it a little bit too much in too many of the stories. It's it's in portrayed this as this is a man's world, and women have to adapt mm. to to thrive within it, and even then, they're subject to constant manipulation and sexual harassment. But it's fun, right? Mm. And no, and. While watching this show, and really this is the thing that like kind of deep sixes the show for me, mm. which is it's well it's well crafted, it's well acted, but the way that it portrays the boys club yeah. of the behind the scenes at a fancy restaurant as sort of thrillingly sexist, nah. like oh it's so much fun how sexist this is, really grossed me out a lot of the time, and I was interested to discover that in 2017. Anthony Bourdain, not terribly long before, sadly, he took his own life. Mm. Uh, he wrote uh, a, a, he wrote an article apologizing for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's called "On Reacting to Bad News," and it talks about how in the, in the Me Too movement, he a lot of things were brought to his attention that people weren't comfortable telling him before. Yeah, and he saw that as a personal failing that people weren't comfortable telling me about this. I should have known about this, and I should have been the kind of person people would have come to me about this. And I really thought it was interesting. The article concludes, I won't read you the whole thing, but the article concludes with, To the extent which my work in Kitchen Confidential celebrated or prolonged a culture that allowed the kind of grotesque behaviors we're hearing about all too frequently is something I think about daily with real remorse. So when we look at Kitchen Confidential, I do think it's really valuable because there's a lot of sitcoms just like it. But this one was actually trying to be sort of representative of a real industry and without really intending to, without I think consciously doing it, they were illustrating real problems, which Anthony Bourdain, the guy who spoke it's based on, later realized this was a problem and it wasn't fun. And that's what I had when I was watching Kitchen Confidential. I wasn't having fun. Well, I I was waiting for the the reckoning to come. Like, where there was going to be the moment where the women just say, you don't get to do this anymore. I I know this is a boys club for you. This is all good fun for you. 
but we're being ground under your feet just so you can have some fun. This isn't fun for us, guys. And that this never is, This is horrendous. And yeah, the moment doesn't come. Well, granted, it was, it was canceled early, but I honestly don't see well, that no, moment on the horizon it, for the it, show. It should have come either at the end of the first season. We saw the whole season didn't come. Well, or, it started at the beginning of fall. It could have gone or full it should have. There was when they introduced the female chef character. Oh, golly. Um, um, uh, Becky. Becky. Yeah, played by Erin Hayes. Um, she's a very talented chef. It's a sexist industry. She's had to work very hard to maintain respect. And it should have been at the, you know, she should have gotten some sexist blowback right at the beginning. Oh, no, we have to work with a girl and just like get over it, guys. And at the end, she get, just gets to say it again. Get over it. I'm your boss. You do it my way. My food is good. Screw you. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if, if you don't treat me with respect, I walk. And... It didn't happen. It should have happened in that episode. Mm-hmm. That would have been it, a good one. It would have been a good opportunity. It, should, but, it would have been a good opportunity when, like, a woman ends up owning the restaurant. Mm-hmm. We don't do that either. In fact, they spend the entire episode trying to gaslight her. Well, I, I can see in season two how that might have panned out a little bit better. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, she ends up the the uh, the Becky Sharp character. Becky Sharp, uh, Vanity Fair. She uh, ends up kind of rolling a little bit too heavily with the boys and ends up getting in on a lot of their sexual harassment games to the point where she's harassing others. Yes. And and yeah. It's gross. It's gross, especially for the time it came out. Now, there's an era maybe as late as the mid 90s when something like Kitchen Confidential with this exact same sense of humor would have Mm -hmm. come out. And we maybe would have accepted it as kind of kidding sexism or we would have just it would have been a little bit more part of the sexist milieu that it came out uh but yeah having come out in the mid-2000s it was already too late well actually for those kinds of gross attitudes i look at kitchen confidential as part of a tradition of a-hole sitcoms where the Mm. whole point is look at how terrible these people are like married with children married with children i think married with children took it to such a f- degree that it becomes an existential nightmare for them. Yeah. Like, yeah. they're so cursed. By their own awfulness. Yeah, and it's their fault, for the most part, uh, that I feel like that show, as grossly sexist as it was, at least almost had some sort of philosophical point behind it. <laughs> like, you see that they're never rewarded. Mm. They are rewarded in Kitchen Confidential. It gets everything in this. That's true. Uh, but, no, I see it as, like, more in the tradition of... Of the Larry David shows, Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm, where you're watching something like Curb Your Enthusiasm and Larry David does something, you know, sort of undeniably and objectively horrible, but because the situation sort of was weird and he wasn't sure what to do, we're all supposed to go, hey, I would have done that. Mm. You shouldn't have. Yeah. This should be a moral parable for all of us. And instead, we're celebrating it because it's relatable. And I think Seinfeld was the same way. That's why I love the ending of Seinfeld, when they they're, all got taken to task. They're put on trial for how horrible they were. And I yeah. think a lot of people rejected it because we yeah. liked them for being horrible. And I'm like, well, maybe maybe mm. we shouldn't have. Maybe that was on us as a culture. And I think Kitchen well, Confidential, because it's about mm. this really kind of hyper-specific super intense industry where people are constantly blowing off all this steam they thought you know free reign to Mm. do the a-hole sitcom but they're still a-holes yeah well and they never leave the kitchen world long enough to sort of gain any perspective Mm -hmm. and you know if they live in sort of this weird alternate universe where everything is intense all the time and they never get a chance to pause that would be one thing Mm -hmm. but you need to make it like kind of an intriguing sealed off from the universe 
world unto itself. Like, what if we never left the kitchen? The, yeah, like, we never... Everything le- else is hearsay. We never leave the kitchen, we never get any input from the outside world, and they're just sort of out of touch socially. Mm. And that doesn't necessarily give them license to behave like a-holes, but you, we can see that their behavior is not human. Yeah. Would be my point. Uh, there was a really, actually, a really great sitcom... Uh, mm. About uh, caterers. Was uh, this party down? Party down. Okay. Party down was you know we we dip into other people's lives, but only through the perspective of people who cater their weddings, mm. fancy parties, Republican mixers. Like at one point, a guy was actually like trying to start an orgy, <laughs> and he didn't know how to do it. And so the caterers are just like. We can help. <laughs> it's a really funny show, and because it was like super specific, and it was only ever about it, only took place during the catering job. Oh, that's fun! It okay. never took place outside of it. It was always just they got there to do the catering, and then they were cleaning up at the end, and that was it. Mm. And that kept it so focused, and there was always so many like different high concept comedic situations you could fit into it, just because it's a high pressure moment. And fitting everyone's drama in around it was a really good structure for a show. Party Down is one of the few, I'm trying to think, they're really only like maybe five live action sitcoms I've really loved in the last 20 years. <laughs> one of them was Party Down, another one's Brooklyn Nine-Nine, mm. another one is... The Elvira Show. That, was that in the last 20 years? No, I think no, that was, yeah. I'm cutting myself some stuff. So you saw it in the last twenty. That's years. true. I think news radio was still on at the time for some mm-hmm. of that. So I'll give it. I'll give. I'll give it to news radio. But yeah, a lot of sitcoms mm-hmm. fall really flat to me. Um, because they're situation comedies. Well, it's, but that's it, not necessarily a problem. I think a lot of them just fall back on the same kind of lazy ideas, mm-hmm. we, the same stories every time. We talked about this in our latest episode of Only the Best, a Patreon exclusive podcast that we have uh, mm-hmm. through Cancel Too Soon. Uh, we review all of the Best Picture nominees in the Academy mm. Awards history in chronological order. And we got to the film Lady for a Day, which is one of Frank Capra's early films. And it's, near as we can tell, it's the first film to do the old sitcom story of I wrote to my mother and told her I was in charge of all of you guys. Can you please pretend for a day? When she comes to visit. Yeah. And that's been done in every sitcom in the 80s and 90s and mm-hmm. onward. There's, I imagine they're still doing it. They probably yeah. are. It's just an old trope, but it's like it's so familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I often have trouble with sitcoms just because I find they're doing the same shtick. Yeah. Um, what I liked about Kitchen Confidential was the specificity of it. And they weren't doing a lot of the same shtick. They were doing a lot of the same relationship shtick. And mm-hmm. I think the Jack Bourdain character, who's no, who knows why they changed it from Anthony to Jack. I, I kept expecting to find out he was Anthony Bourdain's brother. Like a different Bourdain. Yeah, or like it's his cousin. Like, oh, my cousin Tony. Have you heard of him? Like, boom. Like, I kept expecting that cameo to show up or something. His character has the protagonist's curse, which is he has to be a little bit more universal and a little bit more in charge, which means he's way less interesting than the supporting cast. Yeah. And he's the one who suffers through the really typical stories, a lot of the romance stories, or Mm. my business is in trouble. Oh, no, I slept with my boss's mistress. Uh, Yeah, poor guy. Oh, you... And she's played by Marina Marina Baccaro. Oh, no, Marina Baccarin is licking my face. Oh, what a horrible Mm. nightmare this is. Waka waka. Uh, And and then Frank Langella steps in and says, you guys are all crazy? And and we want to say, stay, Frank Langella, stay! (laughs) Don't walk out of the scene. Okay, so but the, yeah, yeah. So 
so yeah, when we're focusing on him, we do get a lot of those boring, typical sitcom situations. But yeah, because of what you said, the specificity, we get a, a great supporting cast who do have their own obsessions, which mm-hmm. is why I love the episode where John Cho, who plays the fish guys, the, the expert in fish, and the pastry chef. Played by Nicholas uh, Brendan by from Nicola- Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay, yeah. The, uh, they begin a rivalry. And try to argue what is more important in the uh, the, the culinary canon, as it were. Like, what, what's the more important dish? The fish dish or the cakes? And the cake guy clearly has the winning argument. Well, everybody eats cake. Everybody loves cake. Yeah, you finish with cake. Yeah, yeah and... and John Cho is you know makes all these very convincing arguments. No, fish is the more important thing. You, Did you ever go caking with your dad? Yeah. No, you went fishing with your dad. Like it's a, it's a, they overhear somebody's getting married. Yeah, no one would ask for a wedding fish, and John Cho shoots back. They would if they were in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> good point. All yeah. right, there well are done, wedding fish. <laughs> well done, John Cho. But yeah, that's that's a good one, and we're gonna talk about that. But let's let's introduce the the, the cast. We got Bradley Cooper at the mm. time. Bradley Cooper wasn't. Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper, as we know him as a movie star, was a few years out. Mm. This was Bradley Cooper, like, back when he was just doing Alias. So, people... Yeah, when, when would he really break out? What was this? Like, I think it was The Hangover. I guess so. I the think ha- The Hangover was his hangover big breakout was in role. in 2009. So, yeah, this was He's a little a, before... He, a few, he, he, was, yeah. he was ubiquitous. People liked him. Mm. He was attractive. He was talented. He kept being put in things. But, you know, he just... He hadn't found his big break. He was... Good on Alias, but he was the sort of side character who wasn't really involved in all the spy stuff for most of it. So they kind of struggled to keep him in the show, even though he was obviously talented and had a lot of chemistry with everybody. So he was obviously like destined for better things than that. This was like a big opportunity for him with the headline of show. It's kind of fits him. He's good at playing the, the asshole the, the, the he kind of like. The charming cad. Yeah, yeah that's, the, that's that's all his roles. He's the charming cad. When for is, the most part, yeah. When has he not played the charming cad? <sighs> I'd love to see him as like just. A, I want to marry Ryan Banks. What? I don't know that movie. That is a TV movie. Oh my god! It was god. a rom com in which Bradley Cooper played. Okay, I might be remembering this slightly wrong. <laughs> Jason Priestley played a washed up TV star. Okay. Who in so order himself. to himself? Oh, walk In order to revitalize his career, maybe he was a movie star, but in mm. order to revitalize his career, he decides to be the subject of a reality TV show in which one of his fans will get to marry him. Okay. Emma Caulfield from Buffy the Vampire Slayer ends up on the show kind of a large. She's not taking it too seriously. But because of that, she ends up like getting more popular on the show. It looks like she might actually marry Ryan Banks. But Jason Priestley's agent or manager, played by Bradley Cooper, is in love with Emma Caulfield and he keeps trying to sabotage her chances. All right. So that he can. So he's, he's, Emma he's just the outright antagonist in that one. No, no, he's the protagonist. Luke, Luke, oh. Luke, Luke, uh, uh, not Bruce, Luke uh, Jason, Jason Priestley. Jason Priestley is like kind of the antagonist. Because he's oh, doing all okay. they actually like like each other. Like Emma Caulfield and Bradley Cooper like each other, but right. they're stuck here. They're like under contract. They have to finish well, the show. So he's just a romantic lead. I'd, I'd love to. Yeah, see but that's him. just a straight up romantic. He was nice enough. Was, I'd love to see him play just to see if he could cast mm. him totally against type and have him play the really gawky guy, like the really awkward, not at all on top of anything kind of guy. I feel like they tried to do that for Alias, but he was Bradley Cooper, so it didn't take. Yeah, so so they had to change with, him up. Same with Silver, Silver Linings Playbook. It's yeah. like, oh no, he's like really manic. Yeah, but he looks like Bradley Cooper and he's charming and he just gets a handle on it pretty easily in that movie yeah. uh, in any case Bradley Cooper plays Jack Bourdain at the beginning of the show he was a hotshot chef 
Mm-hmm. Now he is working at just a family restaurant well, uh, he, because he burned all his bridges. He was a he was an alcoholic. He was doing drugs. He participated in criminal behavior, and, yeah, and no one and wants to work with him anymore. He slept with everybody and everything, uh, alienating every person, mm-hmm. and he hates the world. And he's a total misanthrope. And, and uh, he's he's asked to head the. Uh, uh, what the, 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 the head chef. Yeah, the head chef at a new restaurant called Nolita, which I have no idea what that means. Uh, and it is head by Frank Langella, who was mm. in an adaptation of Lolita, which I thought was kind of weird. Uh, I, did, I, did, I didn't put that together. Yeah, yeah I was like, is, yeah, that, yeah, is that a yeah, thing? What he, is that? That's he, so weird. Yeah, he played Quilty. Uh, uh, Frank Langella owns the restaurant. He's also uh, in The Mob, which they don't talk about too much, but whenever it comes up, it's pretty bad. Um, which I kind of like. I'm guessing this is something that happened to Anthony Bourdain, mm. where like one of the owners of the restaurant was definitely involved in organized crime. Probably changed the names to protect the innocent. I imagine so. No names were changed because no one was innocent. Uh, we got Bonnie Somerville, who fans of the Schmo don't know, has sometimes competed. Uh, she plays Mimi, the head waitress, and uh, Frank Langella's daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, who, and- who resents that she's not in charge. Yeah, she went. Apparently, she she has a degree in this. Like, she went mm-hmm. to school. She went to culinary school, restaurant management, um, and she thinks she should be running the place. And Franklin Gella basically hands most of the responsibilities over to Bradley Cooper at the beginning of the show. That situation changes towards the end of the series as we saw it, but we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, Bradley Cooper assembles an elite team consisting of, as we mentioned, Nicholas Brendan as the pastry chef. Uh, we've got John Cho as the seafood chef. We have got John Francis Daly as the new guy. John Francis mm. Daly, who we recently ran into in Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. Uh, he grew up and got kind of gawky. And he's a, he's, he's a, a good-natured Mormon. He's uh, uh, he's very, very good at playing a, a sad sack. Like, he's hilarious. Mm. No, he's, 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 mm. he's got that vibe. Uh, and then we've got a Welsh actor whose name I'm about to butcher. And I apologize because I'm not an expert at Welsh. Uh, Owen Yeoman. Does that I th- sound I right? Think, to you? Oh, I think it's Owen. Owen Yeoman. Okay. Yeah. Owen Yeoman uh, mm. plays the sous chef. Uh, you might know Owen uh, Yeoman from The Nine or AMC's Turn, in which he played Benedict Arnold. Mm. Uh, he was also on The Mentalist. Uh, he plays Jack's second in command uh, mm. in the in the kitchen. Uh, he has also been his partner in crime. Literally, and when he hires this guy to work at Nolita, mm-hmm. uh, he specifically says, we can't steal stuff anymore. Uh-huh. And as soon as he gets to the restaurant, he's like, this is the place where food goes to die. This is like the best restaurant we've ever seen. And he immediately starts pocketing silverware. And Brad Cooper's <laughs> like, no, 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 no. It's like, oh, I know, I know. We're not going to do it, right? Yeah, we're literally not going to steal things. And he's like, literally, literally? Mm-hmm. Yes. So everyone's trying to be on their best behavior. And uh, oh, also we have a waitstaff, uh, which consists of we've got Sam Pancake, mm-hmm. um, who is uh, a successful podcaster. Uh, we've got Tessa Santiago uh, in there as well, um, and we've you know got what? Jamie I'm- King as the hostess Tanya, and she is another kind of breakout person here. Jamie King was yeah. not super famous when this came out. She's still not famous enough. She's really talented. Um, and she plays, she's a little flighty, but she's flighty in like that sort of Marilyn Monroe kind of way where it comes from a place of real genuineness. Not like she's always being made fun of. She's just kind of innocent. And that adds so much levity to this really tense work environment. Yeah. And, and they, 
they don't mock her. I appreciate that. They, Generally like they, not. They, they there's, kinda, a, there's an there's occasional... There's a few moments where they kind of poke fun at her, but it's not sort of prolonged. It's not really at her expense. And usually it's it's pointed out how, how uncool that was. Well, I think what she, what happens is she just... And, and everybody still loves her. Everybody loves her yeah. for it. Like, she can be, like, really open and honest in a way that would make a lot of people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But it works. Like, there's a scene in which she has to keep track of who is next in line for a table, but their system is down. And she starts calling people not by their names, but by how she, like, remembers them. Mm, So, okay, so we've got... Elderly Jewish couple. Elderly Jewish couple comes ahead of young Jewish couple, comes ahead of middle-aged couple who are obviously about to break up. And then then the young Jewish couple's like, actually, we were first. Yeah. (laughs) Like, they're not mad. I'm looking over the character names, and this is something I didn't notice while I was watching the show, but Mm. there's a character named Stephen Dedalus. Yep. Who is from James Joyce's Ulysses. Oh. There's a character named Mimi from uh, uh, La Boheme. You really think they thought uh, that went out that much? Well, and also there's a character named Becky Sharp from Vanity Fair. So there's clearly a lot of like literary allusions going on. So now I'm looking at all these other characters, thinking, what are, what are they? What are they referring to? Who is to? Pino? Like, what is that one? Is there is there an author named or a famous fictional character named Teddy Wong? I don't know. Uh, so in the pilot, they assemble the crew. Mm-hmm. We meet everybody. It's uh, it's a whole hassle. Uh, fucking oh, what's his name? I always forget. Uh, Stephen, the sous chef. Cuts off his finger, mm-hmm. ends up in one of the foods, <laughs> like where the where the food critic is about to eat it, mm. and of course it's really like embarrassing. And I'm watching this, and I'm just like, I don't ever want to eat again. <laughs> like it's, it's look, pretty look, bad. Look, look, it's look. Pretty bad back there. If you like, think of the restaurant you go to the most, whether it's a big chain or something really local mm-hmm. or like something really high end or something really low end, whatever it is. They have vermin, all right? Yeah, I know. 100% they have vermin. You cannot keep food in the city without attracting something. Yeah. There's going to be cockroaches. There's going to be mice. You know, when the joke we used to make when they started posting the uh, health inspector ratings in restaurant windows, like mm-hmm. you have an A or a B or a C. If you have an A, it just means the roaches aren't that big. It's like the roaches are under an inch. If they're over an inch, you get a B. See, I never understood. Like, we, I, don't, I know they don't have that everywhere. I don't uh, know how prevalent that is. But, like, yeah, here, you know, you go to a restaurant and they have to have it visibly posted. Mm. An A is clean. Uh, a B is above average. Uh, and C is averagely clean. <laughs> it's not actually how it works. C, C is your apartment. Yeah, no, C, 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 C is, is your, gross. C is your personal kitchen. No, C is, C is, it's amazing you're still in business. Yeah. Like, yeah. they would be shutting you down if you're any. I went to a C once, just um, on purpose. Yeah, just, just to see like, what like, it was like. Like a mental dare, just like, oh, how back... Fine. It was, it, it was just it was fine. fine. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, great. It's like my apartment. It's, it's you know, I eat here all the time. It's fine. It's, but it, yeah. you go to a restaurant, you want so, the trust and and uh, safety. Sta- I've I've attended food safety lectures because I worked technically in food services. I worked in a, in a movie theater, and I had to go to an all day food service lecture, food safety lecture. It's like. Don't store the uncooked chicken over the soup. Store it under the soup. You know, I have to move my practice. chicken. Excuse me a second. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Because salmonella will drip into the soup and kill everyone. I read a thing today uh, that apparently people are catching salmonella from cuddling hedgehogs. Okay. That that seems to me like it's not that big a problem. It really doesn't seem like it should be that big a deal, this but is it a pro- is. This is a problem that's going to take care of itself. <laughs> <laughs> They're so cute. How can you not cuddle them? Um, that's true. I... I, I 
Yeah, but, but putting them on their mouth? I guess you could kiss a little hedgehog. Yeah, he's so cute. No, 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 I'm going to die. Someone All right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So all of that stuff, you know, chopping off of fingers and, you know, they're really strict about blood. If you bleed on something, you essentially have to burn that thing. Yeah. And you, you go home. Uh, I've seen it happen on, like, uh, <laughs> on, like, cooking game shows that I watch. Sure. Like on Chopped, somebody cuts their finger and they have to, like, wrap it four times and put four gloves over it and make sure no blood touched anything before they can go on. Which, good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're, they're really uh, stingy about what you cut on certain cutting boards. You cut meat on a cutting board, that's the meat board. You don't mix that up anymore. Yeah. It's like, that's just for chicken now. Um, but it's when you're working at that fast pace, some things are going to slip. It happens. And yeah, there's, there's probably a lot less class in your, <laughs> in your food, no matter where you're going yeah. than you think. All right. Uh, the second episode is called aftermath, which is basically what happens after that episode. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So in this episode, uh, Jack's ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. is there and she's impressed that he's cleaned up his act. But he's cleaned it up so much that he's actually having her trouble wooing her because he's busy. Yeah. Which is fine. Um, also, Mimi introduces a new uh, paradigm among the waitstaff, uh, which is you get your... You're not sharing tips. You're not pooling the tips and then giving them up equally. You're fighting for your tips. Mm-hmm. It's a competition. And at that point... You've fucked up your whole business. This is how it's like Sears died. Yeah, yeah. Because they said, okay, well, each department, you know, we're, they're in competition with each other. So people started sabotaging each other mm. and people started selling less. And then the industry sucked. Um, so everyone starts and fighting it, each other for tips and everything. It, it was taken over by, do you remember when this happened? This guy said, I'm going to take over Sears. I'm going to change the paradigm because I'm a big fan of Ayn Rand. Yeah. Like, I, lo- I love these Rand books. So I'm going to run my business that way. And he ran it right into the ground. Because they don't work. Like, like, like something the coyote ordered from Acme. It just dove for the ground. I liked the bit in this episode. There's been this episode where they get really excited because a whole bunch of dude bro executives with an expense account show up and they start the first thing they order is like five two thousand dollar bottles of wine right and everyone's like great cool mm-hmm. they're spending a lot of money here let's treat them like royalty and they do and then they dine and dash yeah they and, skip out on the check and, and then luckily everyone- luckily and this this is the, the show's great strength it's like a superhero team. Everybody has their one strength, and luckily they have a criminal on the team yeah. who's willing to bend the rules a little bit. Yeah. He's the Wolverine. So, like, Steven shows up and, like, starts, like, with, like, with a knife and starts... And basically shows you that it's 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 like a, it's like a criminal underworld out there. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there's... We, we haven't mentioned just sort of the good variety of characters. Hmm. There aren't two characters that are too alike that you would mix them up. And they all play off of each other very well. And I think the there are a lot of... A lot of the key to an ensemble, yeah. yeah. D- despite all of the, the horned-ass sexism that's going on, there's at least a lot of really good banter between... E- e- and even with the female characters, where there's a lot of good conversation. You understand the characters really quickly. Yeah. The actors play the parts really well. Luckily, we have John Cho, who's a brilliant actor. Yeah, just he's great. nails it immediately. He's not in it enough. There's several yeah. episodes he's barely in it at all. Well, he is, there, he, yeah, but... he's just supporting staff. Like, he, yeah. he would have one episode, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, and I like, I like a show with specificity. I like mm. a show where it looks like they did research and it doesn't feel like other Mm. shows so the stuff actually in the kitchen i liked more than literally all the dating stuff yeah because this this ends with him he finally like gets asleep with her but then he falls asleep and he gets kicked out and ah women right and you just want to slap the show 
uh, the I, next I, episode. I did like, and in the next episode, there was kind of a fun dating conceit where they're trying to sabotage a French chef, like a rival. Oh, that's the next episode. That's the next episode. Oh, okay. No, sorry, that's the fourth episode. The third okay, well, episode. I, I, we'll get to that then. The third episode uh, co-stars John Larroquette, the great John Larroquette. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he shows up as Jack Bourdain's old professor. He was wrote him real hard. And now he comes to Jack and says, I, I actually really love your food. I'm really proud of you as a protege. Uh, I have been told by my doctor that I can no longer have any more heart surgeries and my diet will kill me. And I want you to kill me with your most wonderful, <laughs> most decadent, decadent food. I want like five slabs of butter in every single thing I eat. And they actually talk about sort of the moral dilemma of that, which is you're just giving him what he wants. He's buying the food. He's paying mm-hmm. for the food. Do you have a responsibility not to feed him? Do you you sell the noose to the man who's going to hang himself with it? Exactly. And everyone, like, behind the scenes is like, cool, all right, that's what he wants. Let's take bets. I bet he dies during the main course. (laughs) And it's really ghoulish. But it is also what he wants. And I like that there's an actual conversation between Bradley Cooper and John Larroquette about that. About, like, you know, I'm living my life to the fullest. This is how I'm, this is what I'm choosing. Mm. I could probably tack on another five years. I don't want to. I'd rather live life to the fullest mm. and go out this way. And Bradley Cooper has Su- a great argument Su- against Su- that. Suicide by rich meal. They both have good arguments. Mm. And I liked the writing in that scene. Well, and I think um, that's also something a lot of uh, chefs contend with. The whole notion. Like, where's the line between being a, a gourmand mm-hmm. and being a glutton? Yeah. And there, there's there's it's definitely sort of, food that's bad for you yeah, tastes great, and, and there's there is definitely a hazy section in the middle where you are simply indulging in the greatest possible foods. Mm-hmm. You're you know, pushing your sense to the limit. You're living a completely sensuous, robust life. But then there's that line where you're eating a little too much, and uh-huh. and you don't know when you've crossed that line. Well, we t- we'll get to it in the episode where they run into a vegan. And they talk about the decadence of vegan food or non-vegan food. But um, the other thing going on in this episode that I think they dropped the ball on um, is they actually confront the idea of hazing. The young Mm. chef, Jim, uh, played by John Francis Daly, uh, he is the lowest on the totem pole. So everyone treats him like crap. On purpose. They lock him in freezers. They they physically hurt him. They physically insult him. And he's just like, well, who do I get to be mean to? And they're like, literally no one. And then he realizes there is someone who he does technically have an edge on, and that's the busboys, the guys who mm, take just, the plates, clean the dishes. But what he doesn't realize is that's an entirely different hierarchy, and yeah. he has no <laughs> like place in it. And he ends up trying to pick on a guy who bullies him for the rest of the episode. And there was an opportunity here. They bring something up at the beginning when Bradley Cooper is talking about how John Larroquette bullied him. Mm. And he has a bit of a monologue about how you know these are the patterns of behavior that we are taught as chefs and we perpetuate them. And I thought for a second he was going to learn that John Larroquette taught me bad behavior and I'm not going to allow that in my, in my kitchen. kitchen. Yeah. Nope, well, we're going to allow that in my it's, kitchen it's, because it's that's total, it's whiplash. It's that's just, how uh, ha- that's how hazing gets perpetuated yeah. though. It's not It happened to me so I may as well just keep on. Well, not even I may as well, but I have earned the right. Mm. I they hurt me so I hurt you and eventually you hurt them and that makes it fine. That never makes it fine. That's why I can't watch Dazed and Confused. Like, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much, there's so much really genuine stuff, but every time Ben Affleck shows up in that with, like, a baseball bat or whatever he's it's, got. It's a cricket bat. It's a cricket yeah. bat. Where does he get a cricket bat? But regardless, <laughs> like, it's so mindlessly violent. Mm. And this real, like, sort of 
frat boy kind of way that I just I can never get wrap my head well, around that kind of hazing. The moment when oh, I, f- I forgot who it was where the older guys like has one of the younger guys and has the cricket bat it's like okay now I'm gonna gonna spank you and spank you but there's nobody else around yeah and they both realize kind of how futile this is so he just kind of taps and is like you're fine let's go for a ride and that's like they're friends yeah yeah. So th- at least that film like undoes it a little bit. A little bit. Uh, the next episode is French Fight. This is mm. the last episode that actually aired. <laughs> uh, in this episode, uh, Jack Burdain uh, invites a fellow chef, played oh. by Michael Vartan from also Alias. F- fellow slash rival, because they're all rivals. They're all rivals. Everyone, mm. you know, they, they love each other's food, but they are competing against each other for a clientele. Um, Jack Burdain comps him a meal. And also reveals some of his cooking secrets. And when he goes to Michael Varton's restaurant... He's ripped them off wholesale. Just took the recipe. Mm-hmm. And he is, of course, furious. So it starts a huge rivalry. goes back and forth. Starts escalating, escalating. Michael Varton starts sleeping with Mimi. And she kind of well, can't control herself. The, and I, I did love that they sent in Mimi to sort of, like, sabotage him. But he's, like, the most charming, f- sexiest Frenchman you've ever seen. So when he comes onto her, she's like... Okay, screw it. I'm in. <laughs> See, I, I want to like that, but in actuality, she's like the only like woman in the show at that point mm. who is in a position of strength. And to show her as having no like willpower at mm. all actually just kind of diminished her for me. And I thought it was, oh, okay. I I thought thought, it was kind of unfair to her I, character. I thought, it, I thought it made the character a little bit more interesting. Here's her weakness. And, That'd be fine. And, but she, she has, still has agency. We find out it. she has a lot of weaknesses over the oh, course well, of the show. And all right. That, it, it, I didn't think it was a great subplot. But I did like the escalating tension subplot. I liked the way that they kept sort of fighting each other mm-hmm. and coming with new ways. And I liked that it ended up going like way out of control to the point where Michael Farnett is going to get deported and go to jail. <laughs> it's Yep. That, that's, a, that's how they solved that. I, and I feel like I was watching this episode and I thought to myself, I feel like the person who needed to adapt to this material, this shouldn't have been a sitcom. This should have been a David Mamet movie. <laughs> There's something very specific about the way that everyone involved is an intense professional and they are constantly trying to get one up on each other, mm. trying to trick each other, trying to con each other half the time to get what they want. David Mamet just crumpled up a script. Ah, I was going to do the chef movie, but forget it now. Ah, no, David. Some asshole on a podcast broke David, it already. David, we know you listen to the show. We know. Uh, David Mamet is definitely listening to this show. And right uh, now. I'm a fan. And I want to see that thing anyway. Don't worry about it. All right. I, I love ha- I love House of Games, David Mamet. House of Games is awesome. Homicide is awesome. I I love Heist. And I'll tell anybody. Mm. Spartan is underrated. Spartan Boom. is definitely and Red Belt too. For Red that Belt is the shit. <laughs> Red Belt is great. Nobody saw Red Belt, and that's a great so sports movie. So good. So good. Um. Yeah. You keep treating them actors like meat. I don't care. <laughs> I care. <laughs> I, I, Within reason, David Mamet. He, he called actor. I, I think he called him cattle. Like, well, that's Hitchcock I, said that. Uh, okay. Yeah. Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Uh, Mamet called, said something very similar. Hitchcock called actors cattle and then when he was making Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Carol Lombard she brought in like chicken wire and fencing mm. for the actors to stay in like, in, the, in the middle of the production and at which point Hitchcock said darling I said they were like cattle <laughs> um, there's a great book out there it's a film history book called I'll write you mugs and it's screenwriters talking about actors yeah <laughs> yeah I, I, sadly I didn't get to read the whole thing I got it from the library but yeah okay. check out that book uh, the next uh, the next episode is called you lose I win and in this episode uh, we meet Becky Sharp she comes in to cover the kitchen while Jack goes out and hobnobs with the clientele because he's something of a famous chef and it's expected of him mm. 
Becky is at first everyone thinks she's they're, she, they're going to walk all over her because she's a woman, and in actuality she can play the boys' games yeah. as effectively as anyone, and they all kind of respond to her and they start liking her better than Jack. And then Jack, yeah. mm. and then just when they start saying that her food is better than Jack's, Jack just immediately grabs everyone's plates and just said, the customers are complaining. They say it's inedible. And he throws it away. And then she feels terrible. And she apologizes for a past wrongdoing. And he goes, they're there. And he never tells her the truth. And that's the episode. Yeah, yeah. And it's really gross. See what I mean? David Mamet would like play that for like, that's dark. Yeah. yeah. This, or, is, this, or, this is supposed to be cute. The it's idea, dark. The idea that the woman needs to adapt her behavior in order to survive, like, in like to be misogynist herself, just in order to survive among all these misogynists, is also something that is unfortunately really celebrated. Mm-hmm. Like her character is seen as being really cool for being able to play along with the guys, rather mm-hmm. than. You know, I wish there was a moment where she like pulled another one of the female characters aside and said, "This is hell for me." Wouldn't I don't, that be nice? I, I would. I don't like this. But in actuality, we Becky is the character who I think they introduced her because it was such a boys club and they wanted mm. someone who can play along a bit. Like there's an episode, I'm trying to, I don't remember which episode it is, but there's an episode early on where we find out that the young chef, Jim, is completely sexually inexperienced and she, they're just in a locker room and she has no shame so she's just taking her clothes off and he has never seen bare breasts before. Uh-huh. And so she lets him touch them like right in front of everybody mm-hmm. and you realize... They're humiliating him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. I mean, for him, it's like this kind of like bizarre, life changing moment because that's a that's something of a milestone. Mm. And, uh, she, and but, she's not she's not like sweet about it. It's like, oh well, you know what? I'm going to give you this one experience. We're friends. I'm comfortable enough with this. You may touch this. No, she challenges no, she, his yeah, masculinity. She, she like steps up. It's like you've never touched it. You're going to grab. Oh, what a wimp! You know, it's like why are you mocking this poor man? I know it's cruel. And like the, the hazing thing really puts me off of this. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't. I want to like this, but it's, it turns me off every episode. <laughs> like um, so in the next episode, uh, there is uh, yeah, this is the vegan episode. Mm. They have a vegan uh, in the in the. And, and audience and everybody in the restaurant. Okay. <laughs> they're eating food. At they're the making restaurant. art. And well, I'm not on their side in this episode. No, you're 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 I'm vegetarian. Vegetarian. I'm, okay. I'm not. I don't. I, you know, I can't go without cheese. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, I'm a vegetarian. I never took to meat, and as such, I've seen this as kind of a big uh, blind spot in a lot of culinary thinking. Mm. That the notion of what a plate looks like, like picture what a, a plate looks like. What's the entree? Well, the entree is always a piece of meat. The protein is always the center. And the vegetable dishes and the things that aren't meat or the dairy pro- products are off to the side. They're practically garnish. Th- yeah, th- think of the plate with the partitions in it that you get from you know the picnic supply store. Mm-hmm. That has not changed. You like as as creative as all these chefs say they're being, they're still putting the the meat right in the center and it's rare that they'll try to like vegan restaurants will do this, but it's rare that there's any kind of culinary ethos that takes one of those things off to the side and makes that the highlight and maybe puts the meat off to the side. That can happen, but it's not the norm. And I think Hmm. that, yeah, they're right. There is a certain tendency to focus on norms, but a lot of the norms are pancakes, pancakes, dough and fruit. And the bacon is off to the side. I think the, uh, I think the the sort of general inclination is that the human palate Hmm. tends to like certain things. Yeah. Butter tastes better than olive oil margarine. Mm. Depends on what you're making, but yeah. That's true, but honestly, but oftentimes it just it has a richer flavor. So chefs will want to cook with it. You're basically taking a lot of tools out of their tool chest. Yeah. And especially if they have a menu that is very specific, now they have to go off of it and try to figure out what you like. 
<laughs> so in this episode, Jack decides to seduce her and then gaslight her until she eats meat. It's cruel. It is. And then she ends the episode vomiting because not she, only – she she, had, she took like a bite of like a bit of sausage pizza. Uh-huh. Like it does smell good. I'll have a bite. It do, It is kind of sexy. I feel kind of naughty. I Let's have sex because I tried something new. <laughs> uh-huh. And then we find out that when he left her, it turned into a scene from that movie Raw where she just couldn't stop eating meat. <laughs> and then her, she, she wasn't she – she didn't have the enzymes anymore. Maybe she yeah. made herself real sick. Like if you if you don't eat meat, especially red meat, as my understanding, for like extended periods of time, mm. suddenly digesting it can be a real shock to your system. And yeah, it turns into a fucking Cronenberg movie for her. And I feel really, really bad for her. The other thing that goes on in the episode is they get a shipment of rabbit. But instead of being, <laughs> oh, this is a cute B story though. I liked it actually. Yeah. There's a there's a shipment of rabbit, but instead of being you know ready to cook, they're alive. Like cute little white bunnies living in a cage. And all of the chefs who are adamantly pro-eating meat... Can't kill the bunny. They can't quite bring themselves to do it. Like Bradley Cooper can't bring himself to do it. Even Steven, who's really, really violent. Like, it reminds me of my pet hamster. I can't do it. <laughs> and it ends with uh, 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 Becky saying that she killed him. Here are all the rabbits. Got it all. And uh, when uh, Jamie King is just like, why... How could you do that? I, I no no no. It's fine. I, they're gonna live in my apartment forever. And she's like, "Oh, that's nice." Mm. And then the last scene in the episode, she's having sex with Jack, and under her bed, all the bunnies. She saved them all. That's actually kind of cute. It's, it's like in the Wallace and Gromit movie. We're gonna gonna catch your rabbits and exterminate them. No, we're just gonna keep them in little bunny apartments in our house. And that's <laughs> but it is, it is an issue though because and they talk about it in the monologue because uh, uh, people don't think about the animal when they're eating the meat. Yeah, they they. They assume that's it's out of sight, out of mind. And if they did have to eat the kill the animal, a lot of people wouldn't be able to do it. If yeah, it wasn't a life or death situation, you you wouldn't. It's easy to do that with lobsters because they look like space cockroaches. So, <laughs> but, but it, lobsters aren't cute and cuddly. I like lobsters, but anyway. Uh, thinking, but uh, would you cuddle a lobster? Not sure. not a plush lobster. No, toy. I cuddle a lobster. Cuddle a lobster. Yeah. No, they're they're creepy AF, and they, they, they deserve love too. Lobsters deserve love, what, don't they? That poor thing in the movie Venom. Yeah. Remember in the movie Venom when oh, Tom Hardy got in a tank and ate a live lobster? Did you see Julie and Julia with Amy Adams and Meryl Streep? There's that whole bit, like the last, she's going through every single recipe in The Joy of Cooking. Mm. It's a good movie. I like that movie. Not, and, not The Joy of Cooking. Oh, not Joy of Cooking. Uh, what is it? Uh, f- mastering French Cuisine. That's it. Sorry. My bad. Uh, they both have similar covers. And no, they, uh, they, they badmouth Joy of Cooking. I Julie apologize, Jesus. I'm not the expert here. This is this is like when we talked about baseball. Like, mm. sorry. Um, but the thing so that she leaves t- for t- last, mastering the art of French cooking. The thing that she leaves for last is cooking lobster, but not by boiling it and like slowly letting it rise so that it doesn't allegedly doesn't hurt the lobster. But who the hell knows? Uh, but like you're boiling the lobster, usually we'll just throw it in. Mm. But the like allegedly the proper French method is to cleave it in half, like with like a with like a middle <laughs> device, just crunch. And she can't bring herself to do it. You get one of those big paper slicers from school. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 harsh. Yeah. And it's it's more brutal. Mm. There's something more primal about it, and she can't bring herself to do that. But killing animals is something you you have to do before you eat them, mostly. Yeah. There's a couple exceptions to that, but yeah. mostly you're supposed to kill them first. You know what Morrissey that's... said about meat? <laughs> do I want to know what Morrissey said about meat? 
Uh, just look it up. No, tell him. Uh, well, he's got a song called Meet His Murder. Okay, there you go. Um, all right, the next episode is called The Robbery. This episode was directed by Fred Savage. Uh, is uh, The Restaurant Gets Robbed. Who, who would have been great on this show, by yeah, the way. it was great. But uh, he ended up uh, taking on a, a larger career directing TV than he did acting. And mm-hmm. um, He's hilarious, by the way. Uh, Fred Savage, like, every time he shows up, it's like, oh, Fred Savage. Wait a minute, you're just going for, like... Wonder Years well, with, yeah, like know. like so you're just gonna make jokes about stuff he did as a kid, aren't you? Oh no, wait, he's hilarious. Yeah, he's, he's a really talented comedian. So I directed this episode. The the restaurant gets robbed, and now no one wants to go back. And they're trying to do everything they can to try to make people excited to go back to the restaurant. And even though people don't feel safe, safe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the midst of this, Jim saves John Cho's life. Um, because John Cho wouldn't like deal with a guy with a gun to his face, and Jim defused mm. the situation. And John yeah. Cho feels like he owes oh, this, him one. This is the Fugu episode. Yeah, yeah. and so he says, I, "I owe you one. Uh, I, you can anything, but you you can't sleep with me. Anything mm. below that, you know, I'll do anything." <laughs> and he says, "Will you teach me how to make fugu? Fugu is blowfish, and blowfish is extremely deadly. If there's only like one well, part of the fish that you can eat, and if you screw it up, it's poison." This is something a lot of us learned from The Simpsons. Yay! <laughs> there's an episode of The Simpsons where Homer ordered fugu, and they. they cut it slightly wrong and he thought he was going to die um yeah that's a real thing and you have to slice out the one edible part everything else is poisonous yeah and, and it's a wonderful cuisine and it's uh it's something that you can't get everywhere it's hard mm. to get trained for it john cho is an expert in fish he has been trained for it and he teaches him and mm. it's fine uh the next episode is teddy takes off uh, and in that one, that's this is the John Cho centric episode because in mm. this in this episode <laughs> they get a great review in a magazine, but they call the restaurant's signature fish dish one of Jack Bourdain's recipes, and it is not. Mm. It's it's Teddy, the John Cho character, and apparently this has happened before. So everyone's just ready for like John Cho to go off on a bender and then come back, but this time he goes off on a bender and then gets hired by a better restaurant. Yeah, and so they bring call, in this other guy, jazz, to, jazz fish, <laughs> and this they uh, they bring in another guy to replace him, and they're like, we have to sabotage this guy and get Teddy back, and they do, and and it's really unfortunate because Teddy is happy in his new, like he's way more appreciated. Uh huh. He's, he's in he's charge. Get, he's in charge now. He's getting paid a lot more, and everybody wants his bod. This this would be like <laughs> if at the end of like, oh god, I'm about to do it. This would be like if at the end of Star Trek Six. Ow! <laughs> Put it in the jar. Uh, but if at the end of the movie, after yeah. Sulu came in and like saved them all, but what is he? What is he, Captain of the Excelsior? The Excelsior. Yeah. Ow! I mean, I don't know. What are you talking about? This Star Trek stuff. <laughs> but at the end of the movie, they're like, Sulu, thanks for saving us in the Excelsior. You get to come back to the crew and be fourth in command. Yay! Why, why, why would I do that? I have my own ship now. <laughs> what the hell? I love the way that movie begins because he he's like we see Captain Sulu on the on the bridge of the Excelsior and he's like very looking very much in charge very captainly uh-huh. and and he's drink if you recall he's drinking cup of coffee out of like Excelsior China like it has the ship's logo on it all right that's that's nerdy enough it's a new reference hang on a second ah <laughs> it's like, our why, most violent episode ever why would I go back to the Enterprise I have Excelsior China now we sell that in the gift shop at the Excelsior <laughs> I bet you could get that online. I bet you could. Uh, okay, the next episode is called Let's Do Brunch. 
In this episode, Becky convinces Jack that the restaurant should do well, brunch. Well, and the it's established that they're kind of in like a kind of financial dire straits at the moment. Yeah. yeah. So they need to pick things up. Brunch is a great way to make money. People love brunch. Chefs and restaurants hate brunch because the people love it. There's yeah. too many people. There's too many kids. There's it's not way a lot too, of variety with yeah, the food. It's, it's, well, it's way too casual. And yeah, brunch is like maybe five items and they're all really easy to prepare. Slice up a honeydew. That's part of brunch. Yeah. I can make a brunch. <laughs> so in the episode, everyone is miserable because they're doing brunch, and Jack can't tell everybody he's doing it as a favor to Becky, who thinks it's a good idea. And then it turns out at the end of the episode, Becky had him do brunch because it would highlight her at her best, and so Frank Langella would give her her own restaurant. And so, he does. So she had to trick him, and yeah. she and she's out. <laughs> yeah, we shall be back for one more episode, but... Mm. That's that's mostly the Becky story. Uh, the next episode is Praise Be Praise. And this is the episode about criticism. Uh, we've, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, Jack is uh, given a lackluster online review. Not of his cooking. She, re- she reviews famous chefs in bed. Well, it was, it's been established that this is a, a testosterone-soaked, really sexed-up environment. And... I'm not sure how much Anthony Bourdain is making up and how much of this is true, but evidently head chefs are like the most coveted men sexually. I don't know about in the world, but I'll, in, like, bet, in, there's, I'll bet there's a whole community where that's a thing. Uh, perhaps so. Well, think about it. They're experts. People people admire expertise. Mm. You know, but, power and, and, is sexy. And, and a lot of people are, are you know, food and sensuality. It all mixes together. Sure. And, uh, uh, I'm, I can't help but think it's sort of like Klaus Kinski bragging about the number of women he slept with in his autobiography. Because if you listen to Klaus Kinski, he slept with like four women on the way to the car. You know, it's <laughs> like he was clearly inflating the numbers a little bit. I get the sense that Anthony Bourdain might have been exaggerating a bit about how, how, how lusted after he is. Honestly, nothing would surprise me. But yeah, in this one, not only are they uh, the subject of con- conquests, but yeah, there are reviews about their bedroom prowess Did we, i think we missed the episode with the I, I can't remember i can't remember which episode actually had the the bet we talked about between the fish and the cake it was but around that, that, here it was, somewhere. it was yeah it was a few episodes ago, episodes ago think, but yeah. like in that episode uh nicholas brandon and john show were having that argument and i actually like how the, oh it was the episode in which Lindsay lohan left her dog at the That's restaurant right. yeah, yeah um Lindsay lohan does not appear in the episode no but her dog does allegedly and uh, they're they're debating so they're going off of who orders the most food Mm. And then they're just like, well, yeah, but it doesn't matter who orders it. The question is who eats it. Who finished, yeah. What, so they decide how much the, do they send back? That's the real question. So they just start piling the sent back food onto trays, and they're going to gauge the, who has and, the largest pile at and, the end. And the loser has to eat the other one's pile. Yep. And it turns out that the dog ate it all. So we'll never know. The dog it's, loves it all. It's like all those episodes. It's like all those issues of comics where uh, Superman and the Flash had a race, and they never actually told you who won. <laughs> oh, is that that's the conceit? Uh, off, yeah, that happened like multiple times. I never because there was always something like, yeah, you won, but I had to stop to fight the weather wizard. Right. So right. really, it was it fair? Or, like, or in the there's mid- always yeah. some plausible deniability we had to, to stop it. Stop and yeah, stop a bad guy, and then it would end well, with them starting the race again. But we never saw the result of that race, and boom. Clearly, the Flash is faster. He has to be. He's Otherwise, the what's the point of having the Flash? Yeah, if, if Superman's, Superman's faster, faster, we don't need though. the Flash. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> Thank God we don't need to get slapped for that. Uh, moving on. You no, know, and Superman met the Star Trek people. Ah. An episode called An Affair to Remember. Uh, this is 
a really gross episode, actually. Uh, in this episode, people find out that Jim is a virgin and they're shocked. When several episodes well, ago, they already established that he'd never seen bare breasts before. So they really shouldn't be shocked. They're a little bit shocked more than anything. And this you know, goes back to food as sensuality. You know, it is a sense experience. It's a sensual experience. Mm-hmm. And they feel like if you unless you're tapping into your libido in some fundamental way, you're not going to be a good chef. And really, so, that's that whole macho bullshit thing uh, again. I'm, uh, yeah. I mean, granted, you're using all your senses. Mm. I'm sure having a full, rich human experience will imp- improve your art in any regard. Mm. But the way that they make it seem like we just got to get him laid. So they take mm. him out to a bar and, and they try to use him as, as like a, a pity figure to score with other women. Yeah. So like they go up to other women and just say, yeah, it's our friend over there. He's dying. And uh, then the other ladies are so impressed by how, like, empathetic they are with their friend. They sleep with that guy instead. Mm. (laughs) And that whole sequence is really gross. First off, they go in there intentionally deciding to lie to women just to have sex with them. And it's that whole culture of sex is not intimate sex is not some sort of meaningful experience it's something to win it's something for men to grab from women yeah it's if it's earned through trickery it's still earned and that's bullshit it's always been bullshit and just watching it done so like with so little awareness is just gross to watch it watching it done in 2005 seems really weird to me like i've seen i can't tell you how many movies i've seen where that's a thing like a lot of sex comedies from the like the early to mid 80s but you know we had gone through this period when we recognized how bad that was like remember when golden eye came out and everybody said well we live in an era now where James Bond can't do that kind of stuff anymore. It's like, I, I need a, a list of all your previous partners. Oh, well, I'm James Bond, so you're gonna, we're going to be here a while. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like we were moving out of that. And to go back to that exact same old sitcom formula with all of this sexism in 2005 seems the worst and, aspect. And of not only doing it, like not only portraying like young, stupid people, like, you know, kids, teenagers, you know, who, yeah, like, you, you like, could, who you could argue. I'm not saying it's a fair argument, but you could theoretically argue that they'd grow out of it. And this is portrayal of immature behavior. Like these th- are this is expert, how they're learning their lesson. These yeah. are experts. These are rock stars in their field. This is the goal is to be these guys. Uh-huh. So it portrays this whole thing as this is how you're supposed to act or if you're good enough, this is how you'll get to act, and it's fucking gross. Well, and I can't laugh at. It. I can't. To, to be fair, Jim doesn't go along with it at all. He's completely uncomfortable the entire time, and well, he ends up find, having kind of a really sweet uh, romantic connection with another character. Oh, uh, with Jamie King, which yeah. is actually I actually like the way that relationship is portrayed. But the end stinger. A lot of the episodes end with a sort of uh, lengthy version of a short scene from another episode, or maybe some outtakes. But at the end of the scene, he is he agrees to go along with faking a seizure so that he can help his friends have meaningless sex. So he's at the very least being led astray. Is, he, he's already been corrupted. Yeah. Uh, also in that episode, Jack finds out that the woman who lives above the restaurant, first time hearing of this, uh, is played by Marina Baccarin. Uh, she is very attractive. They hit it off immediately. They have sex. And that's when he finds out she lives above the restaurant because she is Franklin Gellas' mistress. The, the restaurant owner. And he is also part of the mob. And there's a bit <laughs> earlier on in the episode where someone sold them some rotten vegetables. And next he shows up. He's got his arms broken. And he's like, please tell Mr. Franklin Gella I'm very sorry. And it will never happen again. And Bradley Cooper's just like, well, this is bad for me. Well, and he, Here's what I like about that. Franklin Gella is totally... Um, 
It is Langella, isn't it? I think so. Is it a soft G? Because you've been saying Langella. I don't I don't know. I'm just guessing. All right. Apologies. Uh, anyway, one of us is wrong. Frank, we know you're listening. Uh, we Frank, apologize. Mr. Frank L. Uh, is <laughs> He... Uh, he is totally frank about everything. Well, you would be. He's frank. Uh, hey, I feel like we should need to put a coin in a jar for that one. Uh, <laughs> we'll get a jar for next. He, time. He's really straightforward and and open about just sort of what a cat he is. Like, you have a mistress? Well, yes, of course I do. Yeah. It's like you're part of the mob. Yes, it's a good way to make a living. You know, he's, <laughs> Frankly, that's so fucking yeah, good. He, he's so he's, talented. He's always been great in and, and he's he, he, somehow he's like threatening and hilarious at the same time. Like he doesn't have to raise his voice. He doesn't even have to inflect. <laughs> he just has to just say like I need a small favor from you. And Bradley Cooper is just like, by small favor, do you mean a really huge favor and I'll be grievously injured if I don't go along with that? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, yes, that thing. That, yeah. That's that's what I mean. Oh, okay. What I'm, do you want, I'm glad Frank? we're, I'm glad we're <laughs> on the same page. I need you to lie for me. I don't want to. Li- no, you're going to lie for me. Oh, oh okay. Um, and he he has to. He, he wants Bradley Cooper to help him lie because Marina Baccarin showed up drunk at a party for Franklin Gell's actual wife. Mm. Um, and it's real embarrassing, and it's real bad, and in order to hide the secret, Bradley Cooper has to pretend to be Marina Baccarin's boyfriend, which is actually an elegant solution to that problem. That's the Three's Company solution. It still works! Yeah. It still <laughs> covers all the bases, but then it turns out that Mimi knew about the, the affair all along, and she's sick of hiding it, and Frank, and Frank says, uh, what can I do mm. to make this up to you? And so the episode says, ends with him giving put, her the restaurant. Put me in charge! Yeah, yeah so, so now she owns it. the restaurant, and she's everyone's boss. And... This is where the show should have started. Yeah. Where we have Bradley Cooper running this boys club on one hand and the woman in charge keeping keeping him in, in line. check. Yeah. So there's an actual power dynamic. There's like sort of the, the captain and the irascible first officer. This has just been Bradley Cooper and his crew running roughshod over everyone and everything. And you saw that I think they brought in Becky to try to like you know, keep someone there to like match his intensity, but it's way better to have someone as his boss who doesn't enable his shit. Mm. And the problem with Mimi is, I think she's played really well by Bonnie Somerville, but there's a certain inconsistency where sometimes she's like really tough and able to keep him in his place. And sometimes she's not just has weaknesses, but just randomly vulnerable, like random Mm. intervals that doesn't even necessarily have some sort of connective Uh, tissue with her character. uh, I understand that they're trying to sort of set up the power dynamic, how one is, one is strong in some situation and the other is strong in another situation. But yeah, it, it, it's not, it doesn't play with any sort of like tangible through line. Yeah. Like they're not taking advantage of one another's character weaknesses. They just sort of have these plot contrivance weaknesses. Uh, they're, They're going for cheers. Yeah, oh, they're I going guess for so, Ted yeah. Danson and Shelley Long on Cheers. That's it. Yeah, I guess yeah. you're right. Um, and, and I don't think it quite works because partially because it didn't have enough time to get there, mm. but also because everyone's just puffing up their chest all the time. Yeah. Um, and and it would there would be a great uh, a great deal of sexual tension, and never ever ever break it. That's the secret to the show. Yep. There's sexual tension, and they never kiss. And they can maybe almost the, kiss several times. Maybe, but never. Yeah, maybe there's a couple episodes where they like kind of acknowledge that they're attracted, but they back off immediately you and can, they go back to their relationship. You're allowed to do it in a dream episode. There you go. That gives the audience like, oh, thank God we saw them kiss. Yeah. Uh, but, but they still haven't, but, damn but it. But it was a dream, so everything's back to normal. Mulder and Scully kiss, but they were on the Titanic at the time. It doesn't count. <laughs> I remember, yeah, there was the episode, well, the episode, there's the movie where... Uh, 
because of the bee, they didn't kiss. Like there's been all the tension for like for like several seasons. Oh and they, God, and they get to the movie. It's like Mulder. I don't know what to go on. Scully. I don't know what's going on either. And they kind of look at each other. And he leans in. They start to kiss. And then she whips her head back. Says, "Ow, a bee stung me." And of course, it's one of those alien. Bees. And it's an alien bee that turns her into like a pod person. So and, I'm telling you, man. We had this question on our most recent letters episode, which you can listen to on the Patreon page. That's free for everyone, whether or not you're a subscriber on Patreon. Uh, but someone asked me, like, what are your least favorite tropes? And it's the artificially extended will they or won't they romance. <laughs> you just know. You know they're never going to do it. You know they're well, never going to. It's some, not going to work. At some point, they would or they wouldn't. And Usually when, it's the last season, though. Yeah, when they do, it wrecks everything. Usually. You, you, you do it in the last episode. That's what you do because you don't want to go after that. Exactly. That's it. Or you reach a point in the series where they've been doing that will they, won't they for so long that they have to just say out loud – we, I don't want to do this anymore. Or you just stop doing it. It's like yeah. our relationship is now much more uh, well, professional and we're just not going to have that flirtation any longer. And that way they can start talking more openly about who they are. They actually did a good version of this on Buffy the Vampire Slayer where Allison Hannigan and Nicholas Brendan, who's in this show, mm. um, they were best friends, very nerdy, and you just knew they were going to end up together. Mm. But by the time they actually realized they were attracted to each other and started making out, they were both dating other people. So the thing that should have been a celebratory, oh, good, they finally found each other, was actually something they should be ashamed of. Mm. And when their significant others found out, they couldn't enjoy it. They couldn't just be together because they were damaged. And then several seasons later, Willow realized she was gay the whole time. So, oh, right. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. that. So that kind of neutralized it and they moved on. So they they introduced it. They teased it a little bit. It didn't go on too long. They found a couple of ways to keep it dramatically apart. And we're good. And it worked. Um, the next episode of Kitchen Confidential is called Power Play. Uh, this is uh, the immediate aftermath. Mimi is now in charge. Jack is living above uh, uh, the restaurant now. Neither here nor there. Just explains where he goes. Um, and uh, she has set up a new series of guidelines. Everyone has new tasks around the building. Mm. And everyone rebels against it because Jack has said, Mimi's in charge. We'll walk all over here. You know, it's Christmas. I'm going to get us. We're going to spend $50,000 on new kitchen equipment, whatever you want. And Mimi says, uh, no. And he's like, ah, crap. And everyone's mm. mad at Jack because Mimi's in charge. But then yeah. Mimi starts doing things that Jack wouldn't do, like letting other people put dishes on the menu that are their specialties, and so they start siding with Mimi. Mm. Again, this is what the show should have been! That's this is exactly a better idea! What the show should have been. And it ends with uh, the health inspector coming. Mm. And Oh, the health inspector. Um, Oh, what was her name? I don't know. Do you, do you uh, recognize the actress? Yeah, she was, she's oh. a comedian. Uh, she was on um, Whose Line Is It Anyway a lot. Oh, really? Um, okay, I, I didn't recognize it. Look it up. Oh, yeah. Uh, the health inspector comes in, and Jack immediately wait, breaks out his bribe the health inspector money, because yeah. that's how you do it. And Mamie's just like, no, we can we can just do this outright. You've, you've all been cleaning because I've been told you to. And he's like, no, 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 no. But it turns out they nail the health inspection because she's actually a good restaurant manager. But then Jim falls on her because he was crawling around an air duct hiding from Nicholas Brendan because he was sleeping with the girl Nicholas Brendan likes. Uh-huh. And uh, it's really bad. And finally, Jack just ends up bribing her. 
Yeah. <laughs> he gives well, her the money, I, and I, she's I just love... like, this is all? You you dropped a Mormon on me. And he's yeah, like, all right, yeah. fine, here's some more. Karen Mariama. <laughs> okay. Yeah, she was on Who's Line. She's very funny. The, and, the... and Yeah, and I, I love that moment where it's like, we're going to bribe you. It's like, she just sort of holds out her hand. Yeah, I know how this works. <laughs> just hand over the cash, and, and, and he, he like opens. He like opens the wallet, and she reaches in and grabs the money out. That was such a great moment. That kind of casual corruption always fascinates me. <laughs> it's just like, that's how it works. No one cares. I'm like, mm. it feels like you should care. Nah. nah. All right. Uh, the next episode and the last episode and the last episode is and the award goes to the restaurant is up for one of New York's most prestigious awards and the other restaurant up for the award is also owned by Frank Langella and it's the one that Becky runs. Yeah. So uh, Jack is putting together this fabulous eel dish, and eel is not in season. So the fact that he's able to get eel at all is considered quite a coup. And Becky shows up, sort of congratulate him. Hey, I heard about your thing. And then they have lots of sex, and they have so much sex that he's distracted from his work. And he doesn't realize it. you know is a ploy. Yeah, he doesn't realize it. And um, she ends up sabotaging the eels. <laughs> That's our next T-shirt. That's <laughs> and she ends up sabotaging the eels. Uh, sabotaging the eels is uh, this episode features music by sabotaging the eels. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a series of her tricking Jack, being better at this than Jack because Jack sucks. Jack and, does suck, and it's okay for him to be humiliated every episode. But in the end, when they're talking on the phone, he was just like, "Because I would, I would never do this. I would never do this to someone I love or like." And so she brings him all the eels that she got in order to one-up him, and then presumably he wins. And I'm thinking to myself, there's a deleted ending of this where we find out that Jack said that to trick her. I don't buy it from Jack. I don't buy that he loves her. I buy that he might, but given the context, he's, he's a duplicitous asshole. Given that this was the last episode of the season and they knew it, mm. uh, this was, yeah, this was their sweeps moment where he, there has to be one big sh- final shocker at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. So, Jack's in love with Beck. It's not that much of a shocker. It's not that much of a shocker. It doesn't make any sense, but yeah. I don't think they would have walked it back. Like, it would be weirder if, like, I don't know. I don't fucking know. Like, they don't leave themselves a lot of real estate. Yeah. Really. Jim is already dating uh, uh, Jamie King. They're adorable. It was a great date where they're just like playing checkers and everything, and they're having the best of times. <laughs> and it's really sweet. Like um, the innocence on the show. Yeah, it's really they're they're lovely together. There's I l- wanted to see more of them. I kind of want to see just a show that's just them being nice. Yeah. Um. There. So the question now arises: uh, uh, Was Kitchen Confidential canceled too soon? I'm torn. I I, I too am torn because yeah. this is actually an impeccably well-made show. The production the, is the, the impeccable. The production like, it looks is, good. The, the, the production is good. It's great. really well uh, directed. It's really well written. A lot of the mm-hmm. dialogue is very sharp. It's very funny. Like I, I, actually, I, I, I laughed a lot. I um, didn't. Oh, you didn't? Okay. I laughed a handful of times throughout it, and a lot of it was just the attitude of the people. Yeah, they're, yeah, just, yeah. they're just not people mm-hmm. I find whimsical. They're okay. people who I find kind of reprehensible, and I realize that a lot of people can laugh at that. A lot of people laugh at Seinfeld. A lot of people laugh at Curb Your Enthusiasm, and I'm just adding, uncomfortable. I'm adding that as a caveat. That doesn't make me laugh, because I look at those people, and I hurt inside. <laughs> so that's not my kind of humor, and it's another reason why we don't co- we haven't covered a lot of sitcoms because a lot of them revel in that mm. and well, we're not it, super excited to delve into that but we will we will be doing more we have been doing but more. yeah from from a, a technical and a lot of like 
detail is done really, really well in Kitchen Confidential, but mm-hmm. the overall attitude does have kind of an ugliness to it that yeah. is difficult to to take. So I don't... from a scene to scene basis, there's some sometimes something fun going on, but when you sort of look at the whole story. It, it's not fun to watch. I want to see this show again. I think they should. I would like to see this. Sh- I don't think. That, I think the show was not canceled too soon. I think they they mm. gave it a shot. Maybe they should have aired a few more episodes to see if people if it caught on. But yeah. um, even though like the production is good and the cast is good, I think the tone is way off. Mm. I would love to see this same material, the same book, adapted to a TV show now, but. It, the way that you would make a show like this now, where you would try to focus on more of the reality of it. I think the attempt to make this... It would be more, mainstream- more, more Sorkin-esque, as it were. Yeah, or, or uh, more uh, um, uh, David Simon, the guy who did The Wire. He also did a really great show called Treme, which was set in New Orleans after uh, the hurricane. And it was all about the city kind of rebuilding itself and all about how the various artistic cultures within that city uh, were struggling and finding have an identity. And a lot of it's music, a lot of it's food. Okay. Um, and there is a certain you are there aesthetic that is so just riveting when you can tell that people did the research and did the work and they know how it felt. <laughs> and that's really, really exciting. I think you can do that. I think trying to turn this into... A sexy boys will be boys sitcom is a irresponsible and b kind of the most boring version of it. For yeah, me, I, I yeah. think I think because you look at the opening credits it, of the show, it's the surface of what Bourdain was writing about. It is, and I, you look at the opening credits of the show. It's real short. It's like one shot. It's Bradley Cooper walking through the the kitchen, and he's you know interacting. All, all with the all characters the, are doing you know, different things. Yeah. The, they're all doing their stuff. You know, guys making fish. You know, guys making the pastry or whatever. Just walking by him, and then as he walks by, he pulls a pan out from where it's hanging above him. But behind the pan was a lady's bra because yeah. that's what this is about. About. And I'm like, that's the wrong tone. It shouldn't be about how we got good at cooking and now we get lots of sex. Mm. It should be, I think it'd be more interesting if it was just more about the cooking. Well, I like I, the bits where they talk about like crossing the line between legitimate culinary business and we're a criminal enterprise <laughs> and no one cares. That's the good stuff. Mm. I think I would love to see this taken a little bit more seriously, not focused on being a sexy sitcom. Okay. I think that's where it lives. And I don't think this would have gotten there. So I don't think this one was canceled too soon. I agree. Um, Again, same people, different, different, same cast, same cast, slightly different premise, and you're good. Yeah. You know what? Just take the sex out. Kind of. That's kind of the one thing. Like, like maybe acknowledge that it's kind of a sexed up environment. Like everybody's has to be like like Mm -hmm. on all the time that they're and there is sexual harassment and and there are groupies and that's a thing but but maybe don't make it so acknowledge that it's there but yeah don't make it the focus of every episode have one episode about that Mm -hmm. like oh i have a groupie really you're a chef who has a groupie yeah most chefs have groupies okay maybe a side story that's the b plot one like he has a groupie I don't know what you do with that, but that's it's, it's involvement in the beat. We can have romantic subplots. We can mm. have people who sleep around, but like it's yeah, making it just sort of like that's the fun of it. Now they get to trick this person into having sex with them, and it's fun. I think you it's are, never fun. You and I like shop talk way too much. Maybe, but I think that <laughs> but that's our taste, and we're yeah. very open about it. We we like a good Michael Mann movie where just like here's here's how a heist is really done. Like that's the cool stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, Kitchen Confidential, bit of a bummer. I was actually been watching. I just want to bring it up briefly. Um, this was a weird watch to me because I've been dipping into an anime series called Food Wars. 
Oh, it's, <laughs> uh, by weird coincidence. Yeah, it's, I, I, I like cooking shows. Uh, mm-hmm. But this one is an anime series that's based off of high cuisine, and it all takes place at a culinary academy where the entire like hierarchy is based off of food competitions. And it's uh, I think it's called the Shokugeki, where you challenge one another chef to a food mm-hmm. off. And uh, there'll be like two episodes dedicated to the same food competition. And it's just like reversal after reversal. Ha ha. He's using instant noodles. There's no possible way. Wait, by using the seed, those noodles sink in more flavor. It's incredible. Oh, my God. (laughs) Cooking can be exciting. That's my point. Well, I I watch the Food Network. I've seen some of those cooking competitions and they're they're great. They're fun. This is like, I watched really Chopped and Cutthroat Kitchen, both at the behest of my wife, and I got, totally got hooked. Yeah, this those, are, those are fun shows. You know what's missing from this? Hmm. The joy of cooking, ironically. <laughs> like, just like, you know, you know what's cool? Cooking. Like, mm-hmm. making food, nourishing people, finding new flavors. That's the thing that they get lost because they're talking about it so much like the business, and I think that's missing a little bit. Mm. It's, not, it's obviously not the focus because the focus of Anthony Bourdain's book was to kind of tear down the walls and show like you how shitty culture, everything yeah. was, but... I do think that's part of it, and it's kind of a bummer that it's not in there at all. Yeah. Well, it's like in Living Biblically. He's a film critic, and he never talks about movies. There's like, one episode where he talks about movies, and he gets a screener. And, yeah. and, and it takes a, He's allowed talks about like a, like a lot of fake movies. And he's but, allowed yeah. like a week and a half to write the review. And I'm like, what? What, <laughs> what are you what talking kind about? What critic has a week and a half turnaround time? I had, an, I had a turnaround time of an hour when I saw Bumblebee. <laughs> like literally yeah. I had to get it in within an hour Like I, got, I had to write that sucker up uh, the, uh, Just the other day I got an invite for a screening The screening's at 7pm and they say Remember don't write your review until 10 It's like wh- when was I going to write the review During the credits I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Gotta drive home first yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, So yeah Kitchen Confidential I, I see why a lot of people liked it Obviously the cast is dynamite um, And I think it's got that Aesthetic that Fast talking, almost Aaron Sorkinish, uh, Irvin Sex in the City aesthetic, mm. where it just feel you feel kind of smart for watching the, the, it. The single camera sitcom, yeah, yeah. but I just no, it it didn't it didn't work for me, and I hope okay. we've articulated why. Yeah, no, um, I think a lot more worked for me than worked for you, but I think, I, I, we're, I think yeah, we're both turned off by the same things. Yeah. Um, okay, so that is it for this week's cancel too soon. Thank you everybody for listening. We will be back next week with a review of Pan Am. A uh, a Madman knockoff series, Madman, Madman, Madmen. Yeah, b- back when everyone was like, "Ooh, Mad Madman is successful. We should do other like expensive period piece shows." That take place in the the fifties and sixties. So one of them was Pan Am, which stars Christina Ricci, right? Christina Ricci, um, Mar- and- Margot Robbie before she was anybody. That's right, and. Um- I've heard good things, but I heard good things about Kitchen Confidential, so who the hell knows? Uh, I'm excited to check it out. I look forward to delving into it with you, sir. I'll I'll be doing it, too. Uh, Don't forget, if you want more bonus content, you can go to the Cancel Too Soon Patreon page, patreon.com slash canceled too soon, canceled with one L. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at William Debiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, letters. Don't forget, people can email us, canceltoosoon at gmail.com. Uh, is a thing you can do. Did you watch the show? Did you love the show? You want to defend it? You want to talk about something we missed? Uh, you just want to ask us weird, crazy questions? Knock yourself out. We're open books. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Am I forgetting anything? Uh, no, I think that's it. Well, in that case, that's a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season. Music